Support for this podcast is provided by Bright Hire. Bright Hire's leading interview intelligence platform transforms hiring by helping individuals run better interviews and helping teams hire faster with more confidence and less bias. Bright Hire automatically records and transcribes interviews and creates highlights that can be revisited and shared right within the ATS. Teams use Bright Hire to streamline their interview process, train interviewers and recruiters, and give hiring managers better information to make the best possible hiring decisions. Visit brighthire.com to learn how Bright Hire can help you win the best talent. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 445 of the Recruiting Future podcast. With so much unhelpful noise around the topic of the future of work, I'm taking a deep dive into the practicalities of what's actually going on over three podcast episodes. In the previous two episodes, I spoke to authors Julia Hogsbaum and Bruce Daisley about our physical relationship with the workplace. In this episode, I want to explore happiness at work. The John Lewis Partnership is a unique UK-based retailer jointly owned by its employees and founded on the premise of ensuring worker happiness. My guest this week is Lord Mark Price, the former UK Trade Minister who was CEO of Waitrose and Deputy Chairman of the John Lewis Partnership. Mark now works via his business Workle to help employers increase workplace happiness using some of the lessons he learned during his time at John Lewis. Hi Mark and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's uh, great to join you Matt. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? I'm Mark Price. Uh, I spent 34 years of my um, business career uh, working for the John Lewis Partnership, uh, latterly running Waitrose Supermarkets and being Deputy Chairman. Then David Cameron asked me to join the UK government to be Trade Minister uh, just before Brexit. So I then spent two years on an aeroplane trying to um, ensure that the UK's trade deals were maintained in a post-Brexit world. Um, and then after that, I set up uh, Workle a business to help people have a happier time of work. Uh, and that's been interspersed with other bits and pieces that I've done. I, uh, I'm president and I chair the Charter Management Institute and um, oh, a, a range of other things. Before we sort of get into workplace happiness, which is what we're going to talk about, tell us a little bit about your career story, because you've obviously done some, you know, some very interesting things there. How did you get to have the career that you've had? Uh, I was incredibly lucky, uh, is the truth, and I worked very hard, and I had fantastic support around me. Uh, I was able to pick good people. Uh, I was blessed with a few skills. Uh, I've got a very good memory, or used to have a very, very good memory. I was always quite courageous. Uh, I always took risks and wasn't afraid to do that. So, yeah, a whole host of things. Um, uh, probably probably luck and, uh, luck and hard work are the... The two things. Originally, when I, I read Archaeology and Ancient History at University, and I was actually going to be uh, a marine archaeologist, 
there was a vessel uh, that was discovered off the coast of Ostia uh, in Italy. But also, I was a mad keen golfer. I played golf with a very low handicap. And so I said to myself, I was either going to be a marine archaeologist or a pro golfer. But my dear old dad said to me, get a proper job. And so um, I applied only for two or three jobs out of university in 82. And I joined John Lewis because they had two ocean, sorry, two golf courses and five ocean-going yachts, and I thought this must be a good place. And then I got into the business, and it's a remarkable business, and um, it taught me a lot. But I just stayed. They kept promoting me, and I, I was managing director of um, the John Lewis at um, High Wycombe and managing director of um, John Lewis at Cheadle, and then. I moved to the Waitrose board and worked uh, on the Waitrose board and went to corporate, was the, the strategy uh, director, development director for the partnership. And then I, I went to run Waitrose for 10 years. So it sort of all fell into place. I just kept my head down, worked hard and the rest followed. And then amazing when David Cameron asked me to join the government uh, and to join the House of Lords. And I enjoyed doing that. And then sort of in my dotage at the age of 57, I thought, well, what am I going to do now? And uh, I, I wanted to try and bring all I'd learned through my career to life for for other people to benefit from, which is why I built Workle then. Tell us a little bit more about Workle and what it does. So Workle is based on all I learned over my 34 years with the John Lewis Partnership. The amazing thing about the John Lewis Partnership is it was set up by a guy over 100 years ago who set out a constitution, and in the constitution he said the supreme purpose of the John Lewis Partnership should be the happiness of the people that work there. And he had this very straightforward idea that if people are happy at work, they'll be more engaged, they'll stay longer, there'll be less sick absence, training will stick more, customers will get better service, and therefore over the medium-long term, you will have a more successful business because your workforce will be more committed. So I was very fortunate that I was able to to really think about that over a long time. I was lucky enough to go to Wharton and London Business School and INSEAD and, and elsewhere and spend a lot of time reflecting on what does it really mean to be happy at work. And I don't think it's sort of um, an airy-fairy ethereal thing. I think it's a very real thing. I think it can be measured and so I built Workle to help anybody in the world uh, take a very simple test to find out how happy they are at work, how happy they are at work compared to people that look like them, their age, their gender, and then to help them improve where they're falling short. And it's based on core things. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not really about having a pizza on a Friday night or beanbags in your kind of uh, rest area. There are six things that really drive happiness in the workplace um, I, I discovered and, and other um, people from an academic background discovered. And, and they're around reward and recognition, first and foremost, and then about information sharing, and then about empowerment, uh, about well-being, having a sense of pride in your job, and about um, career development, job satisfaction, relationship with your manager. So those are the six buckets that really lead to people being happy at work. So having um, discovered that, I wrote a book called Fairness for All, which sets out the John Lewis approach and why those things are so important to people's happiness and well-being and work. Then I built a website that anybody could visit called Workle. And I also help companies. So uh, we work with lots of businesses, you know, everyone from Morrison's to the Welsh and Scottish government and many in between. 
improve the happiness and engagement of their uh, their employees. Happiness and well-being at work has been a very big topic in the last two years with everything that's been going on with the with the pandemic. What do you think? Obviously, sort of bearing in mind the the, the core things that you talked about there. What does happiness at work look like in 2022 as we sort of come out of the pandemic? What is it that people want from employers and what are employers, what are the sort of the best employers focusing on? Well, I personally, I don't think it's changed, Matt. I think that everybody wants something different. If you're um, you're a man uh, in your late 40s, what you want from the workplace is very different from a young woman in their early 20s. I mean, it's completely different. And so I think um, looking at averages is is hugely dangerous. I I often say if you've got your head in the oven and your feet in the fridge, you're an average temperature, but you're not in good shape. And um, trying to treat the whole of your workforce as one uh, homogeneous mass is a massive mistake to make. So that's why I I built Workall to try and get into the real detail of what each of those groups want and then trying to help each of those groups with information that's personalised. And, you know, some people want flexible working. Some people will find it easier to work from home, more convenient to work from home, and the organisation probably therefore gets more from that person. Other people don't want that all the time. They want more structure. They want um, a team around them. They want to collaborate. And of course, every different industry and every different job within every different industry is different. So uh, I think the great danger is generalizing about, you know, is the future different to the past? I can talk about trends, but the key thing is that people want to be fairly rewarded. They want to know what's going on in their business. They want to be properly trained. They want to think that their boss and their organization cares for their well-being. They want to feel that their boss has got their best interest at heart. They want to be left to get on with the job once they're trained to do it. These things are universal. So there are universal things about what makes people feel happy and committed at work. But then in terms of how they go about that that work, the you know, the chair they sit on the pictures on the wall, the hours that they work, the food they consume in the dining room, all of those things are, are highly are highly personal. So um I I don't think there's anything really different now than there was before. The, I mean, if there if there is a real difference at the moment, it's only that in the UK right now in May 2022, the unemployment rate is 3.7%. And in all my working life, going back 40-odd years, I've never known a figure that low. And normally, the government would regard something like 4 to 4.5% as being full employment. And we've got more than um, uh, a million jobs chasing people to do them. And so in that sense, the employee, the person looking for a job, is in a stronger position in terms of the world they want to create. So I would say at the moment, that's one of the you know the biggest changes. I mean, it really is a unique situation. And from a talent acquisition perspective, we're seeing it drive all kinds of, you know, all kinds of sort of change and disruption in the workforce, particularly how employers you know, portray themselves and think about what it is that that they they offer to an in- individual in terms of moving forward their career and the the employee experience that they they have. With that in mind, when you work with employers, what advice do you give 
them in terms of how they can build a, a happier workplace? There are two things that we do really. On our worker platform, we offer 2 million jobs, and those jobs are linked to um, data that we've built up on more than 24,000 companies. And so what we're able to do is if you go to that site and you say disabled or I'm a white woman under the age of 30, you can put that in. And what will happen is that the jobs board will populate with jobs and data based on reviews from other employees of those companies. And nobody else in the world does that. We have a DNI index. We have a whole host of things. So the first thing we do with companies is to say, look, let's find the right fit people. We've got all these reviews from your employees. We know what kind of individual thrives in your organization. Let's get the fit right. So once you've got the recruitment right, then you move, as you said, Matt, on to the retention part. What do I have to do to retain these people that I've developed into the business? And what we do is we work with organizations using the framework that uh, I, I got to understand and develop uh, during my time in the John Lewis partnership to get to the real heart of the things that make a difference. If there's one golden thread, if there's one silver bullet, it's um, the relationship an individual has with their line manager. I mean, that's critical above everything else. What we find in all of our research work is there's almost a perfect correlation between how people will score their happiness and engagement at work and the score they will give to a question around, do you have a good relationship with your line manager? So if your listeners were to, to say to me, what one question would you ask to find out if somebody's happy at work? I would ask, say, uh, ask somebody to score out of 10 how happy they are with their relationship with their line manager. If they score 10, they'll score uh, 85% on our full test. If they score zero, they'll score 24%. And it goes up in a virtually a straight line from those. But as I was saying earlier, you know, the, the key things are, are, do you feel appropriately rewarded? Are you recognized when you do something well? Do you have the information you need to do your job? Do you understand what's going on in the organization? Are you trusted um, to do your job? Are you given what you need to do your, your job? Are you treated with respect? Does your employer care for your well-being? Do you feel anxious about work? Do you have a good relationship with your line manager? Do you feel your career is being developed? Do you have a sense of pride in your organization? Would you recommend it to friends and family? It's those things, you know, that, that it's not rocket science, but what I discovered over you know, 34 years of really thinking about what makes people happy at work. It's that. If you say we do free yoga classes, I mean, frankly, that's no good if you're working too many hours and don't feel you're being paid fairly and you've not been trained to do your job. I mean, that's a it's a nice extra to have. I wouldn't say don't do that, but it's not core. And if people don't have yoga classes but have everything else in abundance, that I can tell you they'll be happy. They'll work harder. They'll be more committed. There are quite a few people listening to the podcast from outside of the UK who might be hearing about the John Lewis partnership for the first time. Everyone who's listening in the UK will will know it will know it very well. I'm a hundred percent convinced. So it's a very unique organization. And I suppose the, the the question I'm most interested in is as a leader within that organization, what is it that you and your team did differently from other organizations when it came to when it came to happiness and and then thinking about thinking about people? I think it was that methodology, just thinking about the core things that create that level of happiness. The other unique thing about the John Lewis partnership is that 
the shares were put into trust and the profits at the end of every year were distributed distributed to uh, to the partners to the employees in the business and so that made them feel a sense of ownership now in more modern times people have share ownership schemes they have bonuses linked to performance but people do different things now so i don't think that part of the john lewis model is necessarily unique i think what's unique is the philosophy that says Everybody in this business is equal. Our goal is the happiness of everybody who works here. It means that managers have a master-servant relationship in the reverse. And so because of that, you get a different approach to managing people. One of the things that always strikes me is the way some people think about management as opposed to the way they would think about managing situations outside of work. So if you can imagine going home to your partner tonight and your partner said, I've booked a holiday for us, your first reaction would probably be wonderful. Then if your partner said, actually, I've booked it from the 12th of June to the 24th of June, you might think, I don't know if I'm free then. Then if they said, and by the way, we're going to Rome and I've booked this hotel and every day I've got an itinerary of where we're going to go, what we're going to see and what we're going to eat. And we're going to fly back on this day into this airport. At that point, you would probably say, I wish you'd involved me in some of those decisions, even though it's rather wonderful that you've done all of that. Or if you're, um, if you're going over your friends and one of your friends phoned up and said, we're all going to meet at seven o'clock at the dog and duck and we're going to stay there for two hours. We're all going to drink this. And then from the dog and duck, we're all going to go for a curry. And I've ordered in advance the curries that you're all having. And then after that, we're going to go on to Tramp's nightclub and we're going to stay there until X. And then we're going to go and do Y and we're all going to crash out at Billy's house. You would probably say that sounds like a really nice evening, but it's not necessarily the way I want to spend it. But if you put that into the workplace, you find situations where a manager will say, I'm controlling every moment of your day. I'm telling you what to do, where to go, what to eat, when to be here, when to do there. So if you treat people in that way in the workplace, the response will be, okay, fine, I'll do what you say, but I'm going to do no more. So at the heart of the John Lewis partnership is an understanding that everybody has a stake, everybody has a responsibility, and you work together on achieving the objectives, whatever they should happen to be. Now, I think that's great management. Great management is getting the best from others, through coaching them, through inspiring them to want to achieve an objective, not telling them what they should be doing every minute of every day. Absolutely. I mean, that makes perfect sense. So, as we've been saying, very challenging times in talent acquisition, very difficult for companies to attract the talent that they need. As you pointed out, very low unemployment, a million jobs going un- unfilled in the UK. How can employers use happiness as a competitive advantage in this type of talent market? Well, I think for particularly for all the research we do, so for younger people, they are more interested in their working environment, that it's about their career development, it's about a working environment that they enjoy, and a working environment that has a sense of purpose. And so creating those things will get you the best talent in the first instance, and then it will help you to retain that talent. Because it's going to become more and more difficult to recruit and retain the best talent. And we work with organizations who've been finding that difficult, and we help them understand in which of those areas they can help improve. So I think it's critically important. And and one of the things that um, 
we do for any individual of uh, Workle is you can go to Workle. It's free of charge. Uh, there's 24,000 organizations. You can look at the organization you're interested in working in and employees will have ranked it. They'll have said how good they are for information sharing or empowerment or career development. And I wanted to do that because I wanted to empower the individual. I wanted to give the informa- individual information to make a really good choice. Some organizations are better with some groups than others. Some are great with older workers. Some are great with women. Some are great with people with disability. So on top of that, what I wanted is the ability for people to go in and say, I want a job where people like me are happy. And what we'll do is we'll allow you to do that free of charge, and it will bring up all of those jobs where people have scored most highly. I think that's the future. I think that all of that information that's only ever been held by management before now needs to be held by individuals so that they start having the power to pick. But the organisations understand that, and they can improve in the areas where at the moment, perhaps they're scoring less well. As a final question, and apologies is a bit of an impossible question, but I I wanted to ask you a question about the future. We're at such a kind of unprecedented time in terms of low unemployment rates, high vacancy rates. At the same time, the economy isn't looking the best. What happens moving forward, particularly when it comes to the sort of labour market that we're dealing with at the moment? Is it going to continue? Are things going to change? What would be your best guesses? Well, for for recruiters, I think it will be challenged for a a while to come. I can't see what's going to change quickly. Um, There are a million more job vacancies at the moment than there are people to fill them. Ultimately, that has to be filled either by people coming out of retirement or people who are working part-time doing more hours or us opening up our borders so that we bring more people in from Europe or elsewhere in the world. I don't think that's going to happen tomorrow. So I think there will be this uh, shortage in labour. I think as a consequence in that, uh, wage increases are going to be greater than they have been for a while. And I think that employers need to put more focus on training and retaining the people they've got. That becomes more of a priority. And that's all about treating people fairly and, and about their happiness. Mark, thank you very much for talking to me. You're welcome, Matt. It was a pleasure. My thanks to Lord Price. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time. And I hope you'll join me. This is my show.